Welcome to Life After Service. This is the audio-only version of this month's episode. You can watch now the original video documentary on YouTube, youtube.com slash podcast. Find out more on our website. All details in the episode description. This documentary episode features Tamara Sloper-Harding. It's very challenging emotionally to have to relive certain situations. Um, so I can understand why a lot of veterans steer clear of going through that process. But the more that we do it and get the help out there for people in need, veterans in need, the more um, we'll be successful in stopping this terrible trend of this veteran suicide and mental health issues. Australians sign up and put their lives on the line to do their part to protect the nation and its interests. But when the day comes to hang up their uniform for the last time, it's the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next. In this series, we talk to some of our veterans about their life after service. Tamara Sloper-Harding served in the Royal Australian Navy as an intelligence officer and deployed to Timor and Bougainville. In season three of Life on the Line podcast, she spoke to Thomas Kay about her experiences in the Navy as a woman, both the highs and lows, and her time overseas, including how eventually a particular village in Timor, Soibata, captured her heart. She caught up at Avalon RSL with Angus Horton, an old Navy colleague. Well, hi, Tamara. It's great to see you after so many years since I saw you last at Cuddable in Sydney. Yeah, it's fantastic to catch up with you too, Angus. Lots happened since then, a lot of changes in my life and in the world. But um, I never imagined when I met you back then the path I was going to head off on and what would happen. So it's really good to see you again. We um, hooked up in the 80s um, at the Maritime Headquarters. We were both intelligence officers. and, And... a lot's happened since then. You've been deployed all around the world and you've spent time in Timor, but we wanted to talk about your service after the Navy. And in particular, we're down here at the Avalon RSL and you're very committed with the RSL here. Um, I'm actually privileged to be the vice president of the RSL, Avalon Beach RSL sub-branch, which is different. A lot of people don't understand the difference between the RSL clubs and the RSL sub-branches. So the sub-branch looks after veterans and their families and welfare and um, keeps that sense of community that we've been used to having in the military alive for us to help with transition to civilian life. So it plays a really important role. And we're just really fortunate in Avalon that the club limited, Avalon Beach RSL club, are really supportive of the veterans and everything we do in the sub-branch. They support all all of our memorial ceremonies um, and they're always willing to help us host functions for veterans and it's just a beautiful community atmosphere here. Um, So we are really lucky. There's a difference between other RSL clubs and this one at Avalon because the staff really care about veterans and the history. So it's a pretty special place. But equally tomorrow, I mean, that just didn't happen. You sort of got involved and you pushed and I mean, you introduced us to that wonderful guy, Bill Fitzgerald, who we did the interview 
Tell us a bit about Bill. Well, we're really lucky here because we have got um, a lot of amazing members in our sub-branch and Bill is one of them. We have a fairly big connection to the diving community here at Pittwater because a lot of the Navy divers did their training up here. So they often retire up to this area when they leave the service. And Bill had the most incredible life with um, amazing stories and he's such a gentleman. He's a pleasure to be around and we're really privileged that he's here in our sub-branch. Yeah, his podcast, listening to his stories in his voice, it's just inspiring and yeah, I love Bill. He's a special guy. Yeah, lovely guy. And you were saying there's lots of guys and girls like him up here mm. and they're too humble to tell their story and they all have a great story mm. to tell and, and that's what you've been developing. Well, we're hoping that um, the community, because the Avalon Beach community is really supportive of veterans too, and that became apparent last Anzac Day when we couldn't actually um, commemorate anything in person. Um, and one of our local um, women was making the um, white crosses and we put the crocheted poppies on from the lovely ladies who sit down here at the RSL club and crochet the poppies. We did um, all these amazing things and people came out in their driveways and just the support from the community for veterans was really, really touching. So the schools here are really involved with the veterans and, and that's actually how I ended up getting so involved with RSL because they were looking for young veterans, and I was young back then, a few years ago, Still quite young, um, to come and speak to school kids, mm. to give them an idea that veterans aren't all just World War II um, gentlemen, that we are, there's a variety and a real difference between what you think of as a veteran nowadays, especially with some of the guys coming back from the Middle East. We've got some very young members in our sub-branch and we need to provide the support for them when they come home because we don't want a repeat of what happened after Vietnam. And our veterans are really struggling to transition into civilian life. And so that's what we have to do at the sub-branch level um, to help them through that, look after their families and make that transition a little bit easier. Because it's tough. It's um, even for me as a woman, when I first sort of became a stay-at-home mother, I didn't have anything to talk about to the other mums at the school gate because my experience of life was so different to theirs. And, and this community here at the RSL makes that a little bit easier to cope with because there's someone who really understands what we've been through in our service life. Yeah, it's, it's an important job. So Tamara, besides your work with the RSL, tell us about the other things that you're doing. Well, it's, it's almost one of those things that once you get involved in the veteran space, you keep meeting more people who are also doing good in that area and it draws you into other organisations and that's the key for us, to try and link up people with the right services. And at the moment, there's so many different um, ESOs in Australia, it's very difficult for veterans to know where to go to, for help. So through my contacts, like some of my classmates from ADFA and um, from HMS Creswell, they're all involved with helping veterans now too. So I've recently been asked to be on the board of um, Carry On Victoria, which is an amazing organisation with a strong history of looking after veterans, um, homeless veterans, veterans in financial difficulties, that sort of thing. So it fits in really well with what we're doing at the RSL. And um, the strangest one I've been involved in lately for someone like me is being asked to be part of the committee for the RAN Old Salts Rugby. Um, I did play rugby occasionally when I was young. I didn't particularly want to, but um, it was the sport we were doing that day. And um, so I wouldn't class myself as a rugby player. I'd say I'm a very, very good supporter. My dad played rugby and as a kid, I used to watch him most weekends when he was home from sea. So um, it's, it's all new to me being part of this community, but that's another area where 
that the old salts want to help veterans so that veterans aren't having to come in, say, to an RSL sub-branch or another organisation, I have issues, I need help. But through the um, connection through rugby, they can have that friendship group where they can be directed to the services they need. So it, everything kind of links up together. It's really, it's really great. So Tamara, someone comes back and they get involved with you guys at the club. The process then of actually trying to get help is actually a very daunting process. It is. It's, um, I'm going through it myself at the moment and I'm finding Sorry. it really challenging. We have some amazing volunteer advocates here at our sub-branch and at the Veterans Centre at DY as well who help us through the paperwork because I mean, I've got a pile this thick that my GP has to go through assessing any injuries from my service time and it's very challenging emotionally to have to relive certain situations um, so I can understand why a lot of veterans steer clear of going through that process but the more that we do it and get the help out there for people in need, veterans in need, the more um, we'll be successful in stopping this terrible trend of veteran suicide and mental health issues. Yeah, because the, the paperwork and the processing is just so overwhelming yeah, yeah. that it can just totally put people off and make yeah. it counterproductive. Yeah, which it's, is so um, sad. it is, it's really difficult. No, no, I'm not coping that well with it, but I find by devoting myself to helping others through the veteran space, it keeps me going and makes it seem worthwhile to me. So Tamara, what I'm trying to understand is that you're a mum of four kids um, and you're involved with the RSL and Carry On and the church. And t tell us your, your local involvement with um, the church. It's, it, as I said before, it's an amazing community here. So I'm the social justice director at um, Pittwater Catholic Parish. Um, and that again, it ties into all the other areas of interest that I have. Um, so I'm on the board at Mother Maria Catholic College as well. And it's great to be able to bring that social justice message to young people. So I just returned from the year 12 retreat where we talked about um, what I'd gained through my service and the path that that set me on to helping others. Um, and that really anyone can do something like that. You, just an ordinary person can make a big difference in the world. So my role at, in social justice ties into everything else in my life. Um, and I'm just really lucky. And I'm lucky because it gives me a purpose. Like as a veteran, when the military has been your whole existence, even having four kids and running a house and a family, it doesn't have the same impact that you had in the service. It doesn't feel, it can be quite hard being a stay-at-home mum. I think it, I found it much harder than my service time and lonelier. And so this contact with other people and feeling like anything I do to help people will make a difference is really important to me and especially um, for mental health reasons. So sometimes my friends will say, oh, you're such a good person doing this something. No, I'm not really. I'm doing it for selfish reasons because it's helping me. It's giving me strength to get out there and do things in the community. And we are so fortunate here in Avalon that our community is a really close-knit, loving uh, group of people. And it's just a blessing to live here. It's funny you should say that because in the background, I can hear the evangelical church behind us sharing the love as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I actually get the, the community, like when you drive into Avalon, you've got this little pocket of suburbia and if you could sort of nestle like-minded people together mm. um, i could see the divers like bill 
um, and the other veterans that have, especially Navy people that, have, yeah. that are, are linked to the water. Yeah. It's funny about how you say, you know, by giving you're getting back. I mean, mm. for anyone who has truly given to something, they actually get what you're saying, that the joy is in the giving. And you're a great giver. Um, and if we look at lots of veterans who've come back and they've sort of, you know, gone into their cocoon sadly and not spoken or got out. I mean, you've done the reverse of trying to get out there and do things. So if we talk about probably this big commitment of your time and your passion of Timor, can you take us back to when you were deployed to Timor mm. years ago and how you fell in love with the country and then later in particular, a little village? Yeah, sure. Um, that was certainly an unexpected turn in my life. Um, I was working in um, deployable joint force headquarters um, for um, Sir Peter Cosgrove at the time, and but I was based in maritime headquarters in Sydney, and there was talk about what would happen with Timor. But I was getting married that September, and I was just keeping my fingers crossed that I could still be there for the wedding. But during the wedding reception, I got the call about the deployment. So it happened quite suddenly and I didn't particularly want to go. And the arrival there, it was very traumatic. Um, the destruction and the suffering were so obvious and it touched me in a way I hadn't been prepared for. Um, I got to know a lot of the women there really personally through my work, um, spent time out in the districts and in the villages, spent time with the ladies um, just talking about their lives and finding out what had happened to them during the years of occupation. So it did, it really, it grabbed me and I didn't want to leave. Um, I promised I would come back, but I returned from that deployment and deployed elsewhere and life went on. And it wasn't until my oldest child had started school and I was representing Avalon Beach RSL Club <laughs> sub-branch um, at the local primary school talking about Anzac Day and what that means and one of the children asked me a question about warfare and what we do in the military and I steered the conversation to peacekeeping because that's what my focus is. Um, the Defence Force keeps peace, we save people, um, we make lives better and so the children they're only like young kids, six or seven years old, talked about that. And they said to me, oh, so where have you done this? Where did you deploy? And I talked about Timor and they had never heard of the country. So we pulled out a map and they became really engrossed in the fact that only an hour away from Australia was this tiny country that they hadn't even heard of before, who, who'd suffered for years and years. The children didn't have enough food, there was no schools, everything had been destroyed. And these little kids at this primary school, Maria Regina, just across the park here from the club, wanted to do something to make a difference. And they said to me, the staff said, can you come back next week and tell the whole school about this? We'd really like to help. So it was from that and the group of kids wanting to make a difference that my um, charity was born. I never planned to start a charity helping East Timor, but the kids wanted to do something to help children like them who'd missed out on so much. So. We started a friendship arrangement and I contacted um, Percy Saw Guzmao and Abel Gutierrez, who was the um, Consul General at the time. He became the ambassador later on and said, hey, can you help me? This Maria Regina wants to link up with a school. So they helped and um, Abel said, I've found the place for you. It's Soibada. It's in the middle of Manitutu and it's really, really hard to get to and um, they need your help. And so 
I said, okay, I'll link up the schools. And then he just looked at me and I had my youngest child in the pouch at the time. She was only a little baby. Annabelle looked at me and said, I think you can do more than just linking up a school with a school. Why don't you link the whole community? And I sort of laughed and said, oh, no way. I've just had my fourth baby. I don't have time for that. And 10 minutes later, as we walked across the park over here to have lunch at the club, I'd changed my mind. I should probably talk to Adrian, my husband first, but it was just such a compelling thing to hear about the need that was still going on all these years later after Interfet was there in 99, and this was years later, um, the help that they needed. So we started just with Marie Regina and then local surf clubs heard about it and different organisations wanted to help. I ended up doing a lot of um, public speaking, which I don't really like doing either, but it was just kind of something I fell into. and. Um, then other schools asked if they could be part of it. At the moment, Berengeri High, um, just up the road here. They've just joined us and Mother Maria Catholic College. Um, some of the public schools, Sacred Heart at Mossman's even become part of it. So it's, it's incredible. So not just the schools that I'm personally involved in, they're all hearing about it. And I figure that's how you can change things. If we teach the youth about their ability to change the world, that's how we'll make a difference. Mm. So Tamara, had you actually been to this village before? No, and I think that's one of the special things about my feelings about Soibada now. Mm. Um, in the deployment, I did travel to a lot of districts, um, but I wasn't part of the group that landed in Soibada. Um, many of my friends were. So now for me to visit that village, it doesn't hold any bad memories. Um, it's just got the charm and the love in it that I felt everywhere else. Um, it's a very significant village in Timorese history because it, it was settled by the Jesuits um, when Portugal were there hundreds of years ago and the first school and college was built there. And it's the school where all the leaders of Timor went. So Jose Ramos Hordo, Janana Guzmao, they all went to school in Soibada. So it's a really special place to the people of the country. So what happened um, during the fight for independence, a lot of these young men went back to Soibada to hold their meetings and their planning and everything. So it's a very central, important place. Um, I felt really privileged to go there. Uh, but I think the fact that I didn't serve there in the military makes it easier for me to be there in a different role. It doesn't have any of those bad memories. So how do you get to this village? Well, it's got a bit easier in the last few years. Um, we've been visiting now for about 12 years. Originally, the first trip, it took 17 hours to drive on four-wheel drive through the jungle, just dirt roads. And I thought, why did they that's send a, me That's a long time. It was a long time, but yeah. after we got there, we realised, because we didn't know where we were going, yeah. that our driver had actually driven around the entire island and gone the long way because he wanted to drop some things off with his family on the way. So I since learned after that first trip that it only actually took eight hours <laughs> to drive direct from Dili, which was still a pretty harrowing a drive. Yeah. And um, one of my issues was um, from an, a car accident, vehicle accident I'd had in 99, I was very nervous on the roads. Mm. So nervous, in fact, that I would make the volunteers all get out of the car and walk if it was a really narrow, slippery bit of mm. road. Um, since then, um, the roads, new roads have been completed in the last couple of years, so it only takes us about four hours to get there now. Um, it's an amazing difference. They still tend to get washed away in the really big wet season um, floods and everything, but it's, it's not too bad trying to get up there now. And what are you doing for these people? Well, 
we've learnt a lot. I've learnt so much about what it is to help people. That first visit that we went to the village, we looked around, saw that they had no running water, no electricity, no toilets. And we made assumptions as many privileged people do. Oh, we can help you, we can fix this, we can do that. And I quickly learnt that that wasn't the way to go about it. We had to listen to what the villagers were saying and what they needed help with. And they had to be the ones running the projects so that they had that ownership of it, that sense of um, empowerment back because they'd had 25 years of occupation where they'd just been stripped of any power over their own lives. So part of what we wanted to do was help them help themselves, you know. So instead of us taking a lot of tradesmen over there to rebuild their schools, rebuild their classrooms, we're much better off funding training and getting the locals to do it themselves. So even during this year where I haven't been able to travel there, we've been paying wages for local builders to build the classrooms and the um, training centre. We've got a major project, a lot of it's focused on education, but a major project um, constructing a hospitality training centre with the local high school. The senior high school has um, become a, like a technical college because they need to provide jobs for the students afterwards. And there was this trend that everyone had to go to university. Mm. Well, there's not enough jobs afterwards for people, but Timor is such a beautiful place. Tourism is the answer for a lot of their problems. So we've just finished um, a training guest house so the students can learn how to um, how to wait on people and how to you know do the housekeeping of a like a hotel room that type of thing and we've almost finished the um, training center kitchen we still need to put in all the appliances and I think we still need a roof but fundraising during this time where we can't hold events has been absolutely the biggest challenge I have ever faced um, I'm very lucky that we've been able to do a bit online, but without real events, I can't really make the money we need to support the further construction at the school. So that's one of our major projects. And for a lot of Australians who look at what we're doing as a charity, they need to see that physical building as a mm. sign of what we've done. But in reality, it's the little projects that you can't see that have really made the difference and saved lives. And they've come about through the local community there too. The doctors said to us, they were having trouble getting the women to stop giving birth at home. They wanted them to come to the clinic, um, but the women are scared to come to the clinic and a lot of babies were dying. So we devised this incentive and it's just a simple calico bag with, um, we had printed on it in Teton, the Timorese language, welcome to the world with love from Sydney's Northern beaches. And in that bag, we will put a lot of baby supplies, things you need for a newborn. And a lot of the local women here in Avalon and the Northern Beaches um, crochet baby clothes, make blankets. And that is incentive to the women to actually come to the clinic. Um, what's really funny about that is I walked into the clinic on my last visit and there was a folder there with my name on it and they pulled it off and every woman is made to sign for her bag. They're actually recording the birth date and weight and everything of the baby. So it's almost like it's created this whole another process in the clinic, it's amazing. And, and Tamara, no, no corporate has stepped in and funded this. I mean, you have funded this, you've put your time in, all your friends and volunteers you've, you've brought in. I mean, this is just an absolute mission of love. 
It is, and I, I feel sometimes that I'm lucky that my friends still all talk to me because um, it has come from my friends, the community, my family. Um, personally, I don't have the funds to put into it myself, although we all self, all the volunteers are self-funded as far as travel goes and everything else. But we have to raise every dollar that goes to the village and every dollar we raise ends up over there. So it's pretty amazing that the community can do something like that. and. And I love the fact that it can show kids that you don't have to be rich and famous to make a difference to mm. someone in the world. You can really do things. It's just, it's a really spiritual experience for me. And I think I'm very lucky. So a couple of years ago, we actually interviewed you for the first time and Thomas Kay did a podcast interview with you. And I understand that after that podcast was released, it sort of spread like wildfire and, and a lot of people started listening to you and your cause. It, it was pretty incredible because I was really reluctant to do the podcast and I was really nervous and I don't want to be like telling my own story too much but I figured that if I did tell the story and it could help either veterans or people in Sobata, if if I got over my embarrassment it could make a difference to a lot of people and it was incredible um, the result and the increased interest just because of the podcast so I was really grateful that um, they encouraged me to do it. The guys were fantastic. Um, because I've been contacted by all kinds of people and now when I ask for help, and I'm always asking the community for help, like at the moment I'm looking for a truck to drive a whole lot of donated items to Melbourne to get in a shipping container to go to Dilly. But I share the podcasts with people when I ask them for help and that tells them the story. And it's just a really great package that's helped us as a charity. It's, it's been really good. And so I always figure, Okay, a little bit of embarrassment for me, having to talk or something might help a whole lot of people. So yeah, I can, I can do that now. Greater good, mm. yes. And you've actually got some of the lovely crochet work that the ladies in um, Timor have done. Yes, um, in 99 I spent a lot of time with women's craft groups and they're really great crochets and embroidery. Um, they're great at that sort of stuff. And I recently had to dig it out because the War Memorial are creating um, a new exhibit with Timor. Um, memorabilia in it and they said to me they'd like to have a look at the embroidery so I've got these ones and they tend to use really bright colors in oh, okay. Timor as well so these ones were made in Dare um, and given to me by a group oh, of lovely. women and I've still got photos of us sitting there doing all this together and yeah. they, they made me a beautiful fluorescent it's very bright yeah. yeah and I always sort of think oh they pick these colors that don't really go here but over there when it's um the colours in the village are quite neutral and brown. This sort of thing looks really great in their homes. So their taste is very different, but I'm so lucky that to have these as a memory of sitting with those yeah. ladies in 99. Um, we used to arrive up in Dare at the convent there and um, usually we'd put our weapons in a room at the back mm -hmm. because there were lots of little children. And, and um, But sometimes I'd have to sit there with my styre so beside me while we're doing embroidery and it just felt so conflicting um yeah so a great memory with these and i'm lucky i've got them well they say people knit for those they love yes yeah so covid's really been a, a big challenge for you because you haven't been able to go there you haven't been able to bring the people together as much as you would like to covid has changed everything and it's made it difficult to fundraise, which is the main thing. I'm also feeling very homesick because um, I do have my own room over there where I leave 
clothes and hats and everything so that when I travel I can just use my luggage for medical supplies. And um, I'm used to being there twice a year and being with my community in the village and I feel very much part of that community now. So I think I'm homesick in a way. Um, the great thing is that with um, social media, um, most of the teachers and the chiefs in the village are on social media, so I can talk to them every day. Um, it's quite amazing we have a committee meeting here and I can put them on Zoom so they can be part of that meeting. Um, we're running Zoom lessons, um, Zoom Tetan lessons online and it's just, technology has made things possible that we never thought of before COVID. So there's good and bad points. I can't wait to travel. <laughs> Tamara, can you give an example of perhaps a local person here who may have been perhaps um, a bit lost and you've hooked them up with your Timor project and, and how they've really got so much out of that? Well, it's interesting to look at it that way because personally I have. Um, I was a little bit lost in my transition from the military until this captured my heart and I felt really then I was fulfilling the promises I made. But a number of the volunteers that come forward, they, they want to be part of something bigger than just our lives here. and. My husband Adrian says it's almost like they go to Sobata and have an epiphany and come back mm. a changed person. We do get people that have gone back, you know, nine or ten times. Um, and it's so interesting the different types of people they get drawn to helping. I think one of the most amazing ones um, was I was getting my hair done one day, and I don't do that very often, that's why I wear hats a lot. But um, I was booking four-wheel drives online sitting at the hairdressers and my hairdresser said to me, what, you, what on earth are you doing? You don't drive, why are you looking at four drives? And I told him, and he said, oh, I could probably, I'm a bit of a handyman, I could help out with something like that. And I just looked at him and said, couldn't you teach what you do? And so he's run workshops in haircutting over there. And that's one of the next projects that the principal of the high school wants as far as the technical college goes, is a, um, a hairdressing salon to train them how to do that so that when we have tourists, there could be a, he's called it a day spa. Um, and I think that's amazing that they're thinking that far ahead. One day like we've built a guest house so visitors can come and stay there. Then they could pay to go to a coffee shop and a day spa and have a massage and all that sort of stuff. So I love the fact that the leaders in the village are looking forward to the future like that. And it's just amazing to be part of it. So, so Ian, our hairdresser, has actually done so much in that village during his visits. Um, I, I would never have thought to ask a hairdresser to come originally. And there's other people who, um, especially veterans, who've been going through issues and they find their purpose there. Um, it's just amazing and it's such a positive thing for us. And I love the fact that where the friendship link between this community and that community is an equal partnership. It's, we don't want it to be seen as we're helping them. We're friends together and we help each other with our skills. So when we had the bushfires here, um, they were holding special masses for us in their church and praying for us here on the northern beaches. When COVID hit, I knew that my friends over there were getting together and, and thinking of us and praying for us and helping us. So it's just a lovely thing. It's a lovely relationship that we've got going. Yeah, isn't it funny, like with the COVID, it's been like the Western disease and mm. I can imagine your friends in Timor wouldn't have been at all affected by it, other than the fact of the isolation of you guys coming over. Yeah, and we have really missed that. Um, 
And it's interesting, they set up COVID clinics in the village and they sent me photos. And it was beautiful to see the blankets that have been crocheted by the ladies here at Avalon, sitting there in the clinic and people coming in and being looked after, all the testing being done. But they've been really lucky they haven't had that many cases. Um, the problem is the land border with Indonesia, but there's patrols there to stop people coming over and they've got a good quarantine process happening. So Tamara, if we go back to your service and you learned a lot you know, at ADFA and in particular the Navy, and how could you reflect how your service has really helped you equip your life after service? Because how did you just deal with Timor if you hadn't had this enrichment of training before? Uh, I think that the, the training and experience I got in the military really difficult as it was in the late 80s. It was particularly difficult at the Defence Academy for women. Um, but it was almost like after that, there was nothing to be afraid of anymore. Um, and once you've been through that sort of thing, you really feel almost like I've got nothing to lose now. You know? um, so it set me up like that, but also the contacts later on in my career um, and the networks that we form, like that's really helped me with the Timor projects. I mean, it's amazing that um, a couple of years ago, um, my friends who were CEOs of different ships were able to take over a, an industrial washing machine for the clinic in Sobata on one of the ships. And, and it's just incredible that I can still get help from in, within the Navy to support projects there. And I love that collaboration and you never lose those links with the military. So I'm pretty lucky. Some people say to me, why don't I go back in? But I think I wouldn't be able to achieve what I can in Timor if I was still wearing a uniform because I couldn't just um, send a message to a senior officer saying, sir, can I put a washing machine on your ship, please? <laughs> but I can do it as a civilian. And, and it's never quite the same. Like when no. you're serving, you know, you're on board a ship and there's a mission to, you know, to do something and you fulfill that. And now mm. this is the new, new stage in your life. So mm. wh where, where do you go to from here tomorrow? Well, I need the charity to grow so it can become self-sustainable. And I have been told by a number of organisations that unless we create a really good structure that doesn't just include volunteers, we won't be able to last. So I think that within the next 10 years, I've got to look at setting up a board um, and working out all those governance issues. Because although we're a registered charity, it is difficult because out of our own pockets we're all paying for the admin and all the rest of it and that probably can't go on forever but I really love the fact that every cent we raise goes over to the village mm. so I need to keep that happening but we're hoping that in the village eventually they won't need us anymore because once they've got the schools built and the medical facilities all running and some of the projects are just so unusual like the surf clubs here come over and teach CPR in the village that type of thing will continue but they won't be needing our money to support them to develop anymore because they'll have the tourists they'll be making their own income so I see the friendship relationship continuing forever um, and it would be lovely just to continue the link between this area of Sydney and that part of Timor but I'm hoping that they won't need us um, as much and we can be the tourists that go over there and help fund the industry, you know. Um, Which will be a great help to them. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's amazing. So there's so many different ways we'll be involved always, but I think once they're back on their feet and recovered from everything that happened during the occupation, they won't need us financially in that way anymore. 
So Tamara, you're doing the work with the RSL and the Carry On and the church and your family and Timor. Um, you give a lot of yourself to all these people and all these wonderful causes. Um, how do you actually fit it all in? Well, I think I probably do spread myself a little bit too thin. And that in part is because of my own issues with transition and um, mental health challenges, probably due to the service in Timor in the first place. I need to fill up my day. Um, probably not the healthiest thing to do, um, but I, I have to fill it up with things that are necessary. My house isn't very tidy um, and my family put up with a lot from me. Um, I'm very lucky that the children have all traveled to Timor with me so they understand yeah. what I'm doing. But I think in some ways it's almost selfish of me to be giving so much to other people and not focusing just on the family. I mean, they don't miss out on anything, but it's something I really, I need to do um, to be helping all these people and involved. So in a way, the family does suffer a little bit. Um, but I still try and make sure I bake every week and do all that stuff that mothers are supposed to do. You know, you've got to tick those boxes. And, and I'm there when the kids come home from school and all of that. Well, that's and very I'm important. very yeah. involved in yeah. their schools. Um, but it all comes back to Timor. Like the involvement in their schools, it's all about Timor as well. Um, so I think I'm just really lucky <clears throat> that my family support me. But equally, I mean, you come from a Navy family. You know, you were brought up this way that you move around and you serve. So you've got that history in you. Um, and, and if you look at the life you've, I mean, you really gave your soul to Timor when you were deployed there. And, and I remember you were saying once before that perhaps if you hadn't just married Adrian, perhaps you may have stayed there. So you, you, you clearly wed yourself to this wonderful place and you've enriched all the people that have gone with you and continue to do things. I mean, you've created a legacy in there which is bigger than yourself and bigger than all the people and mm -hmm. it just continues to flourish and and I hope your energy is transferred into others who will help carry the flag because uh, yeah. it's a huge task but you know you broke the ice you made it happen but and I don't think I can take credit for that because it wasn't my idea it was those primary school children mm -hmm. that came up with this idea and I just kind of fell into it yeah. so really I don't deserve any thanks or credit for it at all. Um, it's a privilege to be able to do it. Well, Tamara, I look at you and I look how you've gone through all those years with the Navy um, and you've found this wonderful cause which you've just fallen in love with and as I say, you've taken everyone with you. Um, I look forward to seeing the next stage in your life where, you know, there's another you know, cause that you take on with people in need. I mean, I think you're a bit of a sucker for a good cause and, and mm. you've just looked after these people so well. Tamara, thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you're doing in Timor. And thank you for sort of soldiering on through all these things. And um, you're a real credit to everyone. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks Angus, it was really great catching up.
When the shots crack around you, you remember the high. But it wasn't excitement, it was just terrifying. The steel tore through clothing, mud walls, trees and flesh As I emptied my mag towards nothing at best And as I crawled forward and I looked through me sights I turned and saw Rowdy give a wink and a smile He shouted with me as he sprung to his feet With his gun up and firing out into the 